Serving God is a choice that every person must make. It's an all-encompassing, all-determining choice that each one of us has to make that determines a thousand other daily choices that we will make. Now, serving God is a choice, but listen, you do not have a choice whether or not you will serve somebody. The question is, which God will you serve? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, we've spent the last seven months marching through the book of Joshua in this series called Onward. We've discovered important biblical principles for our lives as we've learned how God prepared the nation of Israel for the promised land. Well, this week, Pastor Trent Griffith continues in the series with Joshua gathering the Israelites together for one last challenge to follow and serve the living God. So let's listen now to part one of the message, Choosing God. Here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We've been on a journey to get to one of the most famous Bible verses in the Bible. The passage we're going to preach from this morning and learn from is a passage that many of you have hanging on plaques or painted on walls in your home. Who knows, someone here's probably got it tattooed on them somewhere. But uh, this is an important passage, and uh, we've been learning that every marriage, every home, every church, every nation only moves onward when there is a leader that calls the people to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. Love that quote that uh, Matt put up there for us. Good intentions are worthless until they become actions. And actions never become a reality until we make choices to change. And that's the big idea of the message. Here's what we're going to learn this morning. Serving God is a choice. That's pretty simple. That may seem obvious to you. But serving God is a choice that every person must make. It's an all-encompassing, all-determining choice that each one of us has to make that determines a thousand other daily choices that we will make. Now, serving God is a choice, but listen, you do not have a choice whether or not you will serve somebody. At the risk of sounding like Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. Somebody just had a flashback to 1977 when I said that, but serving God is a choice. The question is, which God will you serve? Not whether you will serve, but which God you will serve. And we're going to see it here from Joshua chapter 24. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. What's going on here? Well, Joshua was having his own personal manifest men's retreat. He got together all of the men, all of the husbands, all of the officials, all of the leaders. This was a leadership development moment 
in the nation of Israel. And they gathered together a very specific place called Shechem. Now, if you were just going through your daily Bible reading and you came to this verse, you would probably cruise right past that word Shechem because we need to understand, we don't really understand the significance of this particular uh, event. Let me tell you what, first of all, Joshua is going to do at this gathering. He's going to remind the people that God has chosen to serve his people. That is a reality for them. It's a reality for us. And he wants them, he gathers them together at a very specific place, this place called Shechem. Now, 400 years before this time, there was another assembly that happened at Shechem. We read about it in Genesis chapter 12. There were not thousands of men. There was one man and one God that got together and they had a conversation. Now, this is a modern-day picture of Shechem. It is in between two mountains. It's in a valley. And back in the day, 400 years before the verses we just read, God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And Abram passed through the land that God showed him, and he came to a place... What was the place? Shechem. Then the Lord said to him at Shechem, he appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there. It was a place of worship because he recognized this was the initiation of the covenant relationship God had with the nation of Israel. Israel was not this big nation. It was one man that God called from Abram, a man where he met, uh, a man that met God at this place called Shechem. And now here we are, 400 years has passed between Genesis chapter 12 and Joshua chapter 24, and Joshua is calling them to remember how good God has been to serve his people. Look at verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord. It's interesting. Joshua said, the Lord says. And so this is the Lord speaking, the God of Israel long ago, 400 years ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates River, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now, don't miss the significance of this. Abraham's heritage was idolatry. Some of you that didn't grow up in Christian homes, some of you that grew up in very dysfunctional families, you didn't grow up going to church, you didn't grow up reading the Bible, you didn't grow up hearing about the love of Christ, you came from a family that served other gods. And they turned their back on God. Then you would be able to relate to Abram. And God was so gracious to come to Abram, later changing his name to Abraham, breaking into this idolatrous family, turning them around, revealing himself and his goodness to Abraham. Verse 3 says, Then I took your father Abraham beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and I made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. Now, the passage that we're about to read, we're going to go through these 13 verses here very quickly, but I want you, as I studied them, I noticed there were 21 different verbs related to what God did 
that served his people. And what he did, we just read, he took Abraham. Do you understand that when you take something, it's not like the guy had a choice? I mean, he took Abram. And what he did was he began this great nation, began to serve this great nation through Abraham and his offspring. He gave him children. He gave him a specific son named Isaac. Verse 4 said, and to Isaac, I gave, there's another verb, I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Verse 5, and I sent Moses and Aaron, another gracious act of God to, to serve his people, to give them a great, strong leader and give them the law. He says, I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. And then I brought out your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen in the Red Sea, and man, it looked bad at that point. And so God had to do something else, verse 7. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. I love verse 7. tells all the different things that God did. And all, the only thing the people did was cried and wandered around in a wilderness. God's so gracious to clear paths, remove obstacles, defeat enemies, make a path. Verse 8, he says, I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Verse 12, and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword. I wonder how many strong, athletic men, sword-wielding men were there in the army, and somehow in their mind they thought, I'm getting pretty good at this. And God just had to remind you, no, you're not good at anything. I am the one who is sovereignly, graciously allowing you to move that sword in a way so that I can defeat the enemies through you. And he goes on and says, um, and if you're not a swordsman, maybe you just thought you were a great archer. What does he say? Ah, eh, you're not that great an archer either. It's not your sword. It's not your bow. You're not getting any credit for this. This is God serving his people. A gracious act. It is not by your works. And then verse 13, I gave you a land on which you have not labored. It's not your work. And I gave you cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them and you eat fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. What is God doing in these first 13 verses? God is reminding them it is not the works of your hands. It is not your engineering. It is not your strength, not your might, not your creativity, not your intellect that is bringing you to where you need to be. It is a gracious God that sovereignly, graciously selected a person, chose a person, and then built a great nation. And it's a reminder to us. You think, oh, that's ancient history that has nothing to do with me. Well, look at your 40-year history or 20-year history or 60-year history. Can you look back and see specific things that God did in spite of yourself to serve you? He's so gracious. Do you understand that Christ, by his death on the cross, 
has defeated our enemies, removed the obstacles, torn down the walls, and given us a land to move onward to, that one day you and I, because of Christ, will dwell in a city that our hands didn't build, that we don't deserve in any way, because none of our works, none of our ingenuity, none of our religious practices is going to amount to one thing in heaven. And yet God so graciously has served us. Christ loves to serve his people. Christ loves to demonstrate his strength on behalf of powerless people. He ever lives to serve. He rejoices to help needy people. He's happy to serve. He's thrilled to reach down and show himself to, to his people as helpful. He loves to rescue. He loves to lift burdens. He loves to save. He loves to empower powerless people. He loves to clear the way of obstacles and enemies so his people can move onward. Jesus's glory is shown best when his people need him most. Are you a needy person? You feel helpless sometimes? then understand Jesus loves to serve people like you. He has shown that he is a servant to his people. And God has shown how much of a servant he is. Do you know the implication of this? Real simple. You are right now as close to God as you choose to be. Because God has done everything necessary for you to move onward. And that's why point number two of this message is this. I must choose which God to serve. Joshua told the people all of those things so he could tell them what is contained in verse 14. Notice verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Based on everything I've just said, what are you waiting for? Fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity in faithfulness. Put away the gods with little g's that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. God has been so gracious to serve us. Now we have a choice to serve him. As I thought about this word serve, I thought, how am I going to explain this to you people? How, how am I going to understand it? As, as I thought about it, there's really two aspects to serving. Here's the first. To serve means you put yourself under the control of another person. We're going to dismiss church in a few minutes. Some of you are going to land at a restaurant, at a table... You're going to look over the menu. You are going to select one thing, some of you two or three, on the menu, and the server is going to arrive at your table. And she may even say, how may I serve you? Or, I am at your service. Now, if you look at the menu and you say, I want steak, and she says, no, I'm bringing you chicken. Is that a good server? No, that's not a good server. You see, a server says all of the menu options are available, and I am happy to bring you whatever 
you would like. That's what it means to serve God. We put ourselves under his control. We show up at his table and we say, God, anything on the menu you would like today, I am available to bring you. That's what it means to serve God. Now, the second aspect of being a good server is this. It means to provide what is lacking in another. Okay? So the good server, she goes back and she grabs the food from the chef and she brings the food to fill up your empty belly. She wants to remove your appetite, right? That's a good server, right? Now, those two aspects, um, putting yourself under the control of another and providing something that is lacking in another, those are very important aspects, but I want you to understand the difference. There's a difference here. Listen carefully. I need you to put your thinking hat on church. Did you come to church? You said, I didn't come to church to think. Well, it helps in worship if you think. Okay, so I want you to think. There is a way in which God serves us that we cannot serve him. And there is a way in which we serve God that he cannot serve us. Are you thinking? Let me show you these two verses. Over in the New Testament, Jesus said this about himself. The Son of Man came not to be served. Now, just stop right there. Let that rock your world for a minute. Does that seem like it's a little contradictory to what Joshua was calling the people to do? He is commanding the people to serve God. And Jesus shows up and said, I didn't come to be served. What are we supposed to do with that? We have to understand the difference between the way we serve God and the way God serves us. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. How did Jesus serve? He provided something that was lacking in you and I. Namely, forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus came. And then we read over in the book of Acts, as the early church was established, the apostles actually warned the people in the church this. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind three things, life and breath and if you're thinking, yeah, everything else, okay? If it's, if it's a little unclear, God comprehensively gives you everything you have, okay? So let's think about this. God serves me in a way I cannot serve him. I serve God in a way that he cannot serve me. Here's the difference. God provides something I lack without putting himself under my control. And I put myself under his control without providing anything he lacks. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Turn to your neighbor and say, God does not need you. Just tell them that. You know why why they needed to hear that? 
Because most of the people in this room serve God the way we serve our bosses at work. How many of you have a boss? How many of you like a different boss? Okay. If you have a boss you don't want to work for, it's probably because you don't feel like he serves you very well. Like he never understands your needs and he never pays you fairly or something like that. But listen, you don't serve God the way you serve your boss. Your boss needs something from you. He needs a product. And so the little widget goes on the conveyor belt and it comes down the factory line and you make the widget better and the widget falls out. And if you do your job right, he pays you fairly. That's not the way we serve God. God does not need anything from you. And yet, listen, every time you serve him, you show how much you lack what you need. He says, in order to serve him, what do you need to serve God? Well, you need a life. How many of you know, okay, you you got that one? Check, Check that box, you got a life? Good. Where did that come from? Oh, that came from God. And uh, not only do you need a life, but you need some breath in the lungs. Anybody check that box? Everybody doing okay this morning? All right, good. So you got that one. Uh, Where did the breath come from? Oh, that came from God too. And uh, you got a little money in the bank account. You got any brain waves going on? You got any ingenuity? You got any strength? You got anything to to serve God with this morning? Uh, Yeah, where did everything else come from? It all came from God. Listen, You cannot serve God until you attempt something that is impossible without Him. Because in the attempt, you show how much you need Him to provide the very thing that's necessary to serve Him. That's why every act of service to God gives glory to God and not to you. If you serve God in an attempt to bring yourself glory, you've missed the whole thing. One of the things that we've done here at Harvest over the summer is we've, we've brought on some interns, okay? That's synonyms of slave. Um, uh, some interns, you know, you got some young people that are energetic and, and they got no money, or but they got time. And so uh, we pay them a little bit around here. And, and, uh, but what that means is we, we want you to learn how to serve in the context of ministry. And one of the things that they're going to learn, there won't be a lesson on this, we won't have a test on this, but one of the things that you absorb, if you are going to serve God is this, your motive must never be to be thanked or recognized or praised. And so in the context of ministry, what you learn is all the thanks, all the recognition, and all the praise goes to God, even though it's me down here burning calories and spending my life in service to God. And when you do it that way, God gets the glory and I get the joy understanding. God, you don't need me. You just invite me into the process. And as I spend my life and spend my breath and spend everything I have, Lord, you are the one that is worth all of it. And Joshua looks at the people and says, serve him with three things. Actually, two mentioned here, one I'll bring in. But he says, look at it, serve him with what? Sincerity. What does that mean? Some of your translations may say with a whole heart. What it means is there is no gap between what I say I do in service to God 
and what is actually demonstrated in my life. Some of you think you're serving God by coming to church once a month. Boy, God must really be impressed with me. No, no. God wants your life and your breath and everything you have because he gave it to you for one specific purpose, to serve him, not yourself, and not other gods. One of the things we have to realize is if you choose the true and the living God, the one with the big G, the one the Bible's written about, and the one the Bible's written by, if you choose him, there can be no other gods that you choose to serve. Now, if you choose another God, you can have as many as you want. But what we have to understand is God wants exclusive service from us with all sincerity. And then the next thing he says is serve him in faithfulness. You know what faithfulness is? Faithfulness is the habit pattern of a life that serves. You see, those who serve God find out that it's actually an addictive behavior. And pretty soon, it becomes the default setting on your life. You just get up in the morning, and you're just on track to serve God all day, every day, all week, every week. It's just what we do. It's who we are because we've made the all-determining decision to serve Him. And that's what Joshua's rallying the people to do. And then he finally gets to verse 15. Now, here's the verse. I've been waiting for 15 weeks to preach this verse. It's really the only reason I preached the other 23 chapters was to get to this one. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Now, stop right there. Does that seem weird to you? Are there really people that think it would be an evil thing to serve God? The word evil there, it's kind of an extreme word. It's, it's a very important word. It just means if you think it is, if it's irritating to you in any way to serve God, if it bothers you that God wants all of your service, if it doesn't seem worth it to you, Joshua says, well, then we have an off-ramp for you. You can take the next available exit. You can choose the next available God. If you think somehow some other God is more worthy to be served, if you think that somehow that God's going to serve you better than the one that has served you, then choose. Choose. Pick an exit. Pick a God. But he says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river. So those were the old gods. Remember those gods that Abraham once served? He's like, okay, there's old gods. You can go back to the old traditional gods. Or he says there's new gods. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew the Israelites would be tempted to go back to serving lesser gods. So with one final charge, he told them this, choose this day whom you will serve. Have you made a choice of who you will serve? 
Have you decisively chosen to serve the one true God? Well, at Harvest, we like to say that a follower of Jesus is one who worships God, walks with God, and works for God. Serving God is a vital part of a growing believer's life. And we'd like to welcome you to visit Harvest Bible Chapel Granger for one of our weekend worship services this Sunday at either our Granger, Indiana campus or our St. Joseph, Michigan campus. Locations and service times can be found on our website, harvestgranger.org. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.